Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, we're George and James. And today we're filming for the first time. Getting pretentious with Arcade Fire's The Suburbs. How's it going, James? Good. This is new, isn't it? Yeah. So, for anyone listening, and uh, anyone listening and who is a loyal listener, don't worry. Podcasts are still going to be going up as usual every Friday. But you will also be able to, every Monday now, so the Monday after the Friday that the podcast comes out, we will be uploading a video version to YouTube, which is what you're watching now, hopefully. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this is exciting. You're exciting. Yeah. Well, actually, this is mostly coming because we, we planned on maybe doing this probably about 10 episodes ago. And then lockdown happened. Yeah. So we've... This is actually our first time recording even in the same room, let alone yeah. with a camera. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Mental. So if you're new to the show on YouTube, then click the subscribe and all that to uh, to watch us every week. And also head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual places. Subscribe there, follow us there Review to get it, the audio every Friday. And if you're new to the podcast, this is a podcast where me and George talk about a different album each week. And this week, as George mentioned, it's The Suburbs by Arcade Fire. But first, George, what have you been listening to this week? Ah, now this is actually a good thing about filming because I've just recently... Mm. Glass Animals. We can now show you things. Glass Animals just released a nice new like album called Dreamland. And we managed to get this beautiful little picture disc that they released on like a mail list and oh oh so then the idea those so it for anyone listening as it spins the heads there's heads heads on the vinyl that slowly rotate that are like 3d captured versions of the band members that's pretty cool yeah in all fairness though james we have been on quite a vinyl spree we have the last to be fair um I got the new Fontaine's DC album that came out Mm. recently. Um, Hero's Death, is that what it's called? Hero's Death, I think, yeah. Um, And it's good. I really like it. It's much better than the first album. I liked the first album, but I think it's it's a step up for them. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say the second album's much better. I think it's just like... I think the... The, the songs are fairly similar to the first record. Yeah. Although I think maybe slightly more intelligently written, maybe. But I, I think mm. mainly, I think it comes down to the production. I think the production is just a lot more... Well, they are quite young, aren't they? Well thought out on the, um, on the new album. Yeah, this is something that you wouldn't have seen before, but we do quite often research... <laughs> during the... During the podcast. And George is struggling to work yeah. out how to spell Fontaine's DC. It's without the U, George. Is it? Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah, because it's not fountains, is it? No. But yeah, like they've, they're relatively new. What, two years mm. since the first album? 
Um, they're quite a young band from what I've seen. So the fact that they're releasing albums this quickly of quite like quite high standard and like a lot of old school quite old punk inspiration like old mm. post punk like it feels like the 90s yeah it's a very 90s record i think he's got that sort of uh that gallagher sort of swagger to his performance yeah. i think um but in a less sort of um annoying way he's almost a bit more i also think he's he i think you could you could see them live and maybe mistake them as being a bit like that sort of gallagher swagger Mm. Um, but i think they're a bit more well like if you listen to the lyrics and stuff like that i think they are a bit more thoughtful than than maybe they like first appear yeah Um, I think some of their songs can be actually quite, like, lyrically quite strong. Um, which I think if you just see them, like, like if you just flicked over and it was, well, not this year, but, like, a Glastonbury performance or something yeah, on telly, well, yeah. I think you would just assume they're just this sort quite of... arrogant. Yeah, punk sort of outfit. Mm. But um, They are definitely one of those bands that, like, I've heard people say you need to go see Fontaine's DC live. Mm. Not so much go listen to them, it's you should go see them live. Similar to Idols. Yeah. I would I would go, I would say to someone, go watch Idols live, then go and listen to their music. Yeah, and Though I do fair. love their albums, the live experiences are different. Yeah, I still haven't seen Fontaine's live. I've been supposed to have seen them twice. And then, mm. so like, I was supposed to see them at Trap Festival, but then I think one of the band got ill or something. So then they like pulled out like on the weekend of the festival, which is annoying. And then um, I was supposed to see them at Brixton at the start of the year, but then like triple booked myself and couldn't go. Yeah, remember that. So I would like to, yeah, I still want to see them live. Hopefully, I guess they'll tour the new album when we can do tours again. Mm. Um, That'll be exciting. And actually, if anything, I'm more I'm more excited to see them now, having heard the second album, because yeah. I think I like it a lot more immediately than the first album. I'll tell you who I'm looking forward to seeing live again: Leanne Havis. Mm. Yes, and that's come album. out recently. Oh, actually, again, we've got another record. We, we were lucky again with this one. My partner was very ahead of the game and got the wonderful signed edition. Of the new Leanne Le Havis album. I tell you, like, I only listened to it all the way through once because I was like, I'm going to listen to it on the vinyl first. Mm. It's a vinyl record in my mind. It's good, though. It sounds really nice on vinyl as well. It's so honest. Yeah, because she's been, like, when was her last album? Like, 20, I want to say, like, 2016 or something. It's been a while. It's been a, since the first um, album. It was, um, what's it called? Bad Blood? No, Blood. Blood. 20, 2015. 2015, I was so close. Um, yeah, five years. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, but I tell you what, this I, I'm very glad that it's a self-titled album. Because it's the first... I, however, I like her first album, very sweet. It's very much a first album record. Mm-hmm. 
second album was like, all right, step up. we've now got money. And I think that was almost slightly a bad thing. Like some parts were almost overproduced for what I would expect from Leanna Havis. Fair. Although I think it's really Still, where she yeah. sort of took off, isn't, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. And made like and green like, and just, gold. Like just in terms of looking at the artwork, just like visually like a step up as well. Yeah. Like that's a really, I mean, I don't know what she did for like the rest of the album in terms of like music videos and stuff, mm. but just that artwork, which if you're watching the YouTube, I'll put up a thing of the artwork so you can see what I'm yeah. talking about. But there's that sort of, it's a very nicely arranged uh, photograph, that, that, yeah. that album cover. But I just like, it still feels too crisp. A bit sure. Too, this one feels a lot more honest, doesn't it? Which it's is what more... her voice is suited to. Mm. And her lyrics. Yeah. Like this, the whole new album is just so emotional and... Which comes through with the self-titling. It's like a... Yeah. It's a bit like, um, like we've talked about Kiwanuka before. Um, yeah. And that was his third album as well. And again, it, it felt like he was going quite personal with it. And we talked about at the time, like, it's about him and, like, all the artwork with him dressed as an African king. It's, like, his heritage and, like, mm. his background and... and Just and understanding I think, oneself. Yeah, and I think, like, Leanne Le Havis has sort of done it here. Like, the all the artwork and the photo photos are very sort of up close mm. personal sort of looks like they could have been captured in like a just her with her mate like going around yeah. taking photos sort of thing rather than a pre-arranged photo shoot yeah um and so i think that comes uh that translates as well to the music i think and i think it's going to make her live performance so much better as mm. well uh because me and my partner we, we went to see her at earth hackney nice venue there. yeah oh. Love it. And that was such a good place to see someone like Leanne Havis because it's so, it feels like a theatre. Mm. So it feels so personal. Yeah. Because I also went to see Gogo Penguin, Penguin there when they did the, was it? Kiana Skatsi. Yeah, Kiana Katsky, like full thing. And it was such a, it's a theatrical performance. Yeah. Because I saw uh, the SLP there. Oh, how was that? That was, but well, he made it like a, a bit more personal. It, well, it, well, no, I'd say a little, like more theatrical. Like every oh, song so. he came out in like a, a different outfit, a different so. like jacket or outfit or something. And it, and like he had this interesting setup with like screens and then sort of projecting stuff or um, projecting his cool. like silhouette. Like visually it was really kind of cool. Um, mm. Like I'm not, I'm still not sure really about that album. Because no. it does just feel like a load of Kasabian B-sides, which, given the news that we've just had about Kasabian, which we won't yeah. go into, it just it feels... Maybe we'll put maybe, a little thing up in the top of the video so you can <laughs> learn about it if you don't know. Uh, maybe they were supposed to be Kasabian songs. and Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, his live performance was really interesting because he really sort of took advantage of just... Because I don't think he's necessarily a natural front man, like... No. Which is why you had Tom and Kasabian being that yeah. front man. Um, so I think he really sort of used the space as best he could to make it sort of... The band was sort of behind the screen a bit, sort of guerrilla style. Oh, okay. And he was out front. And then they would do sort of interesting silhouette stuff. I must or, admit that album did feel kind of rushed in its kind of promotion and release. Mm, sort of just came, like, oh, he's yeah. doing a thing. Oh, now it's out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much. 
What was that new um, which member of Radiohead? Oh, Ed um, O'Brien. Ed O'Brien, yeah. Or EOB as he's going by on that record. Not, I can't get on board with that. I tried giving it a listen the other day. It's hit and miss for me. There's some tracks I really like. Yeah. Um, but it feels a bit... Um, well, I think we're going to talk about Tom York's anima at some point. Mm. Probably the next episode. Um, that feels like a very... like That's like a body of work that's been thought out and completed as an album. Yeah. The EOB record seems a bit like he sort of had these songs for a while and then... It's a compilation of stuff that he's worked on while doing Radiohead for the yeah. last like, 20 years. <laughs> so there's like this is sort of a, a variety of different styles going on. Mm. And yeah, some work better than others. Um, yeah. I have it's, to say that he did look quite good at the Six Music Festival from what I saw. So I'd be, I'd quite like yeah. to go and see him live doing it. Yeah, it's one of those cases where, like, maybe when he does another, maybe this was something that he needed to just get off his chest. Yeah, and then when he works on the next album, it will be like something. More yeah, because there's no denying, like, of, I mean, obviously, like being in radio, he, he he can certainly like play and yeah, do all that stuff, and he's got a decent voice. Mm. Um, but even Tom York's first solo record was quite. Mm staggered in like pacing and yeah topic it was just like all right i'm doing something not radiohead let's just do everything yeah that's probably what this is for for eob of it yeah i think he needs to like do a bit more and then yeah he'll be on it but arcade fires the suburbs now that is an album that doesn't struggle with uh, the Again. pacing or that feels like a complete body of work it's just really mm. but that is something that Arcade Fire do mm. like fun- by this point you'd had Funeral back in 2004 and then oh, a little Frank noise and then you had Neon Bible I think in 2007 and then this came out Suburbs 2010. Each one of those albums had a very clear image. Yeah. Scenery. Idea. But then even since that, Reflector, everything now. Yeah. They are a band that have mastered a, not so much concept album, but just like a mood album. A vision. They've got like a vision for like yeah. each one. And some work better than others. Like everything now for me was a bit... Um, sort of all over the place in terms of quality for me. Quality's yeah. harsh, but you know what I mean? Like, in terms of, yeah. like, which song, songs I enjoyed. But then even then, like, I've got the 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 vinyl of everything now and, just, like, the packaging it comes in and, mm. like, there's, like, all sorts of brochures and advertisements inside that that relate to each song that yeah. reflect the sort of corporate... Uh, the, the message about corporate entities taking yeah. over and all that kind of stuff that that sort of elevated the album a little bit for me, even though I wasn't really sure I was that into the music. It was just like, at least they've got a real... I don't know about you, but for me, everything now felt a little bit like a Killers record from back in, like, early Mm. kind of 2010s. I could see that, yeah. Like the kind of human era. Yeah, which is, like, where I drifted out of love with the Killers. 
It's yeah, um, it's a weird album. But we're not talking about that. No. Because the suburbs for me, the suburbs was when they reached a peak. Like Reflector is a good album. I'd mm. still love that album. But the suburbs was hitting that double album length and then still getting awards, high ratings, and still keeping a consistent body of work together. Yeah. Like, it changed the indie music scene quite a lot. Like, it just kind of dropped, and suddenly the standard of indie music... Cause what 2010, what other indie albums were released in 2010? Because I don't, I don't remember that many. Because I think maybe Arctic Monkeys' "Humbug" was two thousand ten. Life Forever" by Falls. Okay, maybe people were actually getting quite serious in two thousand ten. High Violet by the National, which is which I just bought the. Um, you bought the special edition. Special now, edition, yeah. which is bloody lovely. And you got Tame and Parlor's first album. Mm. Brothers by the Black Keys, which is probably one of their best. Yeah. Their best. This is happening. LCD sound system, which is a cracking. That field music album is pretty decent. Yeah, Uh, everything, everything's first album. Tell you what, two thousand and ten, pretty good year for indie music. For indie music, this is like enemy. Because to be honest, like heydays. um, And that was when like Yace, like Mm -hmm. Yace, were kind of interesting. Bella and Sebastian was still interesting. Um. Uh, I sort of mm. discovered Arcade Fire more. I'd like heard bits, like obviously Keep the Car Running from Neon Bible yeah. was like one of those songs that got played a lot. Mm. And there's a few <laughs> songs from, I mean, The Suburbs, the song The Suburbs. Yeah, The like, Suburbs and Ready to Start were all over the radio. Yeah, so like obviously I'd heard like, but I hadn't actually, I think Reflect is probably the first album I actually like listened to properly. Mm. Um, so I don't really have the context of like them at the time releasing this. Like I've got it as like a yeah. going back listening to. Oh, it. I'm definitely the same. Um, but I like I wish I'd have been an Arcade Fire fan at yeah. this time and this coming out. Well, something that I didn't realize as well when they released this because this would have been prime. HMV CD era mm. they released eight different covers for the CD release so you would go into HMV or buy it online they would have the different covers and stuff oh, that's of the album and it's the same car yeah but in different parts of the suburbs of where they live oh that's so cool so each album cover I think it might be from because there's a good five or six members mm. <clears throat> so I think is actually different suburbs that they actually right. live in where the pictures are from. And I'm like, why was I not part of this? It's like the whole because of the internet thing or because of the internet. Yeah. Like, I if wish I'd have we been were, part yeah. of it at the time, then it would I, have been... Because trying to find, like, track <clears throat> this down on vinyl and track because the internet down on vinyl, especially because the internet... Well, yeah. Can't fucking find it unless you want to pay like out over the odds <laughs> for it, which... At the moment, no, but maybe if I get a bit richer, then maybe, yeah. yes. Um, but the suburbs, literally, you can only buy it from their store, and it comes from Canada. That's yeah. it. That's the only place you can buy it. 
the the interesting thing talking of vinyl uh, if you haven't figured out already by listening to us me and george are kind of sort of vinyl heads a little bit yeah um ever increasing they actually when recording this album Mm. they so they recorded the album then they uh cut it onto 12 inch inch vinyl and then re-recorded that like played that back and re-recorded that but each song as a single as well right so it was 12 inch singles played at is it 33 rpm yeah or so, forty, yeah. or maybe forty-five, because it's oh yeah, it's faster than yeah. forty-five. Yeah, yeah. So you've got what, like twenty odd vinyls that has been cut onto all of the. They're somewhere, somewhere the there are those cuttings that are then recorded for the digital version. So you get that sort of sound, mm. that sort of slightly warm vinyl sound on the uh, if you're listening to it on Spotify that you're getting that. Yeah. Sort of getting that sound. Which I think, in a way, it kind of distances you from how polished it could be. I think it's something that they tried to do with their first album, Funeral. Because that album is... The mixing of it is much to be desired. Right. But it does feel like they've tried to make it sound... Not necessarily old, but like... It's a memory. Hmm. But it didn't work electronically. Like, obviously, they'd done a digitally funeral. They tried to, like, degrade yeah. it and stuff. Whereas this, actually cutting it onto vinyl, then re-recording it from the vinyl, it does make the album feel like a memory of, like, your childhood and growing up in the suburbs. Yeah. Like, it was definitely a very good idea for them to do. And I haven't really heard of that happening that much. Because I've heard of the whole thing, record it digitally, run it through a tape machine. Yeah. That makes sense. That's quite easy to do. A lot of people do that. Like, I think even Arctic Monkeys still do that all the time. Yeah, but cutting it to vinyl. Yeah. And then that's quite a process mm. in itself. It would be interesting to see them trying to convince whoever they needed oh. to convince. Oh, yeah. It's been expensive. To let them do that. Yeah. And so sort of on like... merge records which was independent at the time, but released through, I think, Mercury. Right. So, uh, part of the Universal Music Group, so it is Universal. Because, like, maybe, like, I I, I feel like we can hear, we can hear it in the songs, but, you know, maybe to most people it would feel a bit more, sort of like, why are we bothering here? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah. is it, are we really going to hear the difference? That's an interesting list of records. That is this the producer? Yeah. So the producer's Marcus Draves. I assume that's how you say his surname. So he's done the new Hosier album. Yeah. Pretty much everything Arcade Fire since Neon Bible. Quite a lot of Coldplay, by the looks of it. A lot of Coldplay since um since, since Viva, Viva La Vida, Vida by the looks of it. Um, some Maccabees stuff, which is interesting. That's interesting because it's the only Maccabees album that wasn't done by Chenzo Townsend. Right. Um, a lot of Bjork as well, Depeche Mode. Florence and the Machine. Yeah. Oh, he did How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful. Which, to be honest, looking at a lot of these albums, 
this seems like somebody who is a he sounds like a mood producer especially mm. if he's working with Bjork yes but even like uh, I mean Viva La Vida for me is where Coldplay really start to dip but oh for me that was where they peaked that was the last solid effort where Coldplay were actually like let's try and make a good album Mm. But yeah, what I was going to say is, for me, like, Viva La Vida didn't really work for me, Fair. but it, it at least they, it really felt like they were going for something. And so you yeah. can imagine them going, let's go to the guy who did the Arcade Fire stuff. Yeah. Because they sort of, you almost feel like, actually, with Viva La Vida, Coldplay almost were trying to be arcade fire a little bit because arcade fire definitely have like i mean if you look at them live they do some crazy sort of stuff live with like quite big the way they dress and all this kind of stuff i'm quite big and I, I seem to remember with the coldplay like viva la vida tour they would they were definitely they would they would sort of dress in that sort of les miserables yeah. french revolution sort of military wear and all that kind time. of stuff so maybe it you know, it sort of feels like maybe that's what they were looking towards. Because what was what I know we're t- t- turning into a okay, cold actually, no, discussion. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you though, Viva La Vida, two thousand eight, two years before the suburbs. Oh shit! Which is weird. And this is something that I've always noted about Arcade Fire. They sound so much older than all of their predecessors, or like they sound. They sound like the era they're aiming for, mm. but they still sound fresh in a weird way. Like, nothing they do sounds like a copy, but they still feel like they're living in that era that they're aiming for. Which is why, like, having David Bowie and Reflector work so well. Yeah. Because it sounded like it should have come from the 80s. Mm. I mean, it kind of sounds like a David Bowie record, that record at points. Yeah. So it makes total sense. Interesting. So we were talking at the start of this. There's a deluxe version on uh, Spotify of, of the suburbs, mm. and uh, the last track on that deluxe edition, the, the last two tracks aren't on the main album, but the last track in particular features David Byrne from the Talking Heads. Yeah, and we were talking about how how you know you must have a a great album when you decide not to use the track you've recorded with David Byrne from Talking Heads. Mm. We didn't actually listen to that one all the way through, though, so potentially you didn't even play that much of a part in it. Because, mm. like, David Byrne I know, is on but, Reflector. Yeah, but, but they like, don't even feature him on it. But you get David Byrne... You just feel like you, you get David Byrne, you, you use the song. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... And it makes me respect Arcade Fire even more in the sense of like, yeah, it would have been very easy for them just to put it on. Well, we we did listen to it and we were like, yeah, this doesn't belong on the suburbs. Yeah. And they obviously knew that. And the fact that they recognised that and, and decided not to use it, mm. I think is, uh, it, it is shows, a testament to like yeah. how, how mature they are in, in the way they go about making music. Definitely. I, I think that they're kind of weird because they're kind of a band you look at and they can actually be quite silly 
in terms of like some of the stuff they do. Yeah, they they kind of seem. If you just bumped into them in the street, they I can imagine thinking that they're some weird hippie festival cult. Yeah, they just go around as a group of like eight to ten people that just go to festivals, get high, and just fuck about. Yeah, like because like part of their everything now tour, they were like. They were at Madison Square Garden, but they were playing like inside a boxing ring. Yeah, and so and like so, they're quite sort of slightly silly in that way, but then there's such a maturity to mm. like the music they put out and the way they go about putting out the music. I'd say they're almost surreal. Mm. It's not so much silly because in the same way, like. So I was at Tate early with Jake, like I said, and mm. we were going around like the, the like impressionist, like modernist section. Yeah. And and I was looking at a Salvador Dali that I'd never really noticed before, and it was called like autumnal cannibalism or something. Right. And it looks quite silly because there's these like outstretched yeah. boobs and these figures falling into each other, but then you kind of look at it more and you realise that it's like. Although it looks very much part of almost a comical autumnal meal, they're actually devouring each other in a capitalistic like form. Right. And it's like, oh, actually, you're managing to use humour to get across this quite deep message about personal yeah. relations. That's kind of what this album does. That kind of, you grow up in the suburbs, you move to the city and you kind of, cannibalize your own emotions and for, forget who you were when you were in the suburbs you're like distancing yourself from that and it becomes this old distant memory where things were all clean and crisp and it was perfect and it's like well actually no it wasn't but because you now live in the city and capitalism is your main form of life yeah now that makes sense Oh, <laughs> we went down a rabbit hole. Yeah, but yeah, I think. Uh, but they're very good at that. They they are very good at that, and surreal. and I think, but I think it's easy to be surreal. I think it probably is unfair me using the word silly, although actually so that's kind of what surrealism is. Yeah, and actually, I don't. I think some people can use silly as kind of a disparaging thing, whereas actually, I'm like a, I'm a big fan of silly as a as a thing. Well, you think of um, any great comedian, like, like you got your, um, what's his name? The guy that we saw who was at the fit- Leicester Square Theatre. Stuart Lee. Stuart Lee. <laughs> or your um, David Williams. No, Robin Williams, sorry. Yeah. Both very silly. Like, they'll do, yeah. like, two-minute sketches talking nonsense. Mm. But it's actually about a very serious poignant issue and it actually makes you think while laughing yeah i mean like eddie izzard is a great example yeah. of that or um i mean everyone often says that eddie izzard is like it had he been born in the like much earlier he would have been a monty python but like monty <laughs> python is yeah. like um oh, like life a Brian. great example of that where they're talking about really actually kind of serious political issues a lot of the time yeah but it's incredibly silly and surreal and and so like i'll say silly when most people i think silly bit has become quite like a just a term of like sort of just like disparaging something like i think someone can think of silly as just someone doing something dumb on tiktok yeah 
that's today's silly. Yeah, whereas I, I'm still using silly in the Monty Python sort of Eddie Izzard sense of the word. Um, A distraction from the actual poignant fact of what you're yeah. trying to get across. But like, I, you know, I'll... Like, there are bands like Kingers and the Lizard Wizards, who I'm a big fan of. But they're silly. But they are silly. But I also don't think they are... They're sort of silly without anything to sort of back it up, which is fine because I'm, I'm quite happy for you mm. to just just be silly, right? And but then for me, they're being silly, but also allowing so many people that don't necessarily understand or want to understand very intellectual music theory. Mm. But they, due to their silly format that they create their music, I mean, yeah, the they whole micro, people. the yeah. whole microtonal like stuff. I couldn't do that. Yeah, and I'm not sure I still really understand, like the whole microtonal. Mm. I sort of get it, but I also I'm not yeah. I'm not like a really into like music theory but or anything like that. It's so much more. It's it, I find it more impressive to hear King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard make an actual digestible rock microtonal record mm. that feels a bit silly than some weird avant-garde musician doing completely free yeah. jazz composition based around microtonal stuff. Because it's like, yes, they're both impressive, but actually making it more digestible for a mass mm. audience is so much more difficult. Yeah. I think just with... with I think what I was getting at with King Gizzard is like they are kind of silly, musically very impressive, but um, sort of like in terms of like deeper meanings behind the record. So like we talk about Arcade Fire, and there's definitely a there's definitely sort of a vision in us. Well, actually, King Gizzard and Elizabeth always have like a vision, but like in yeah. terms of like the deeper meaning behind the music, I'm not sure there necessarily always is with King Gizzard because they are just a sort of band that they'll sort of just do what they want and if they want to go and make a Mark Turner record because yeah. they find it interesting, they'll do they it. And do. if they want to make a heavy metal record, they'll do it. Whereas Arcade Fire... And I think, you know, obviously King Gizzard released like fucking... Well, one year they released like five albums in a year. Yeah. Arcade Fire are a bit more sporadic with their album. Yeah, there's a lot more fine tuning. Yeah, that goes into it. Like it's very particular. And I appreciate both ways of doing it. Like mm. I, I, I kind of respect King Gizzard for just being like, we're going to do this now, and yeah, we're not going to spend that long on it, and that's that, and that's done, and now we're moving on to the next thing. And I kind mm. of respect that because I, I wish I was a bit more like that with stuff I did yeah. in a way. Well, that's kind of your difference between your like Salvador Dali and then someone like Jackson Pollock. Like, mm. Salvador Dali, meticulously well-painted oil paintings that if it wasn't for the fact that they were visually completely obscure, you would think it's a masterpiece. Whereas Jackson Pollock looks like a bunch of paint being thrown and it's very instantaneous but there's still the same amount of thought and research mm. and like the process and the the emotive statement is still the same it's just 
one takes longer than the other. Yeah. Weird. Like, I like Arcade Fire for what they do, but also at the same time, it's like, it takes you a long time. Yeah, because the gaps between albums. Yeah, what is it? Um, I mean, just between... I mean, 2004 to 2007. It's a good three years. Yeah. Which seven, isn't, you know... Seven to ten, another three years. Yeah. Ten to... Thirteen. Okay, Reflect is actually older than I think it is, in all fairness. 2013 is quite a while and when, ago. And then when was everything now? 2017, so another four years. So they're like, through every three, four years, they're putting out a record. Mm. Um, which I guess isn't, you know, that long, but... But it's not necessarily... It doesn't fit what you would expect a modern band to do. That's much more kind of 90s, 80s sort of. Yeah. Did you see, um, and this is a tangent, but it's it's also relevant. Get on the tangents. Um, the, what the Spotify CEO recently said that caused a lot of uh, angst in the music community. So he was basically talking about... Because obviously Spotify come under a lot of criticism because... Underpaying artists. They don't really pay. Not crediting people on albums. Yeah. Yeah. A few things. Um, It's quite a lot to go into. But um, he basically came out and said that artists, musicians, artists, can't expect to now just put out an album every two, three years. Like what they should be doing is putting it out stuff all the time which obviously suits him and his business model and I think mm. probably suits the algorithm in terms of the way you would get noticed on Spotify if you just keep putting out content but obviously a lot of people criticise that A because a lot of bands just can't afford to do that a lot of artists can't afford to put out stuff all the time Yeah, but also you know, some people saying, like Anthony Fantano talked about it and he was like, you you can't expect, like quality's going to go down because yeah. you can't expect, yeah. you know, look at some of the greatest albums of all time, they took three, four, five years to make. Uh, what do you think about, obviously I've only given you the bullet point. Yeah. There's something that I thought about a lot because obviously being a musician and trying to release stuff. Hmm. There is a pressure to be constantly creating. But there's also, like, if you're building a house, it doesn't mean you're not also living somewhere else and doing something else to afford that. Yeah. So you can be releasing singles, EPs. They're maybe not quite the same quality, but they... Because there's something quite beautiful about somebody releasing a single or an album that's very poignant of what they're doing then. Like, boom, I did this EP in two weeks. Here it is. This is me right now. I had a bad experience the other day in public. I wrote this song. Mm. Here we go. But in the background, you can still be working on a masterpiece. So you can have all of this kind of front page news stuff. Yeah. Yeah that's coming out every day but then on the Sunday so for the newspaper analogy yeah on the Sunday you have the bigger picture the the more like 
this is what's been happening over the last two, three years, all rounded up in much more of a a film-based structure, like a more of a story. It's yeah. more of a, an adventure and a journey. Whereas the rest of the time, just like feeding the audience seems to be coming more... It's snacking. <laughs> yeah. Which I think can work in it. But I, it's I, not going to work for all artists. No, and, and like I'm a big fan of the, the album as a, as a thing. Mm. But then if you look at artists like, I mean, I think the one of the, and it's, I think it's already, I, you haven't listened to all of it yet, but, um, oh, yeah. but one, I think already probably at the top or competing for the top album of the year for me is Taylor Swift's new folklore, folklore album, mm. which was apparently no one knew about it until she just dropped it. I don't know if that's true. But anyway, dropped it by for, surprise. For Taylor Swift, no one knew about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so dropped by surprise um, towards the end, a couple of weeks ago, couple towards weeks the end ago, of yeah. lockdown. Um, and that is, for me, her. it might even be her best record, which is saying quite a lot given 1989, mm. I think. But I mean, they're very different. So it's kind of hard to compare them because yeah. one's a, one's essentially a, a national record, which is probably why I love it so much. Yeah, and one's a, a pop uh, pop record. But um, you know, mm. I think that as an out, it's it's just a very well put together album, I think, and kind of what quite well constructed. And so I look at that mm. and think, would I want like Taylor Swift to just put out songs and not focus on an album? Because she is someone who, despite being a big mainstream pop artist, is very much still all about the album. But then I look at someone like Ed Sheeran. I think he'd be better suited to regular single releases. I don't know. Why? why I mean, I at this point, why, why do you bother with albums? Because they're never, you know... You look at Taylor Swift, and they're sort of on the same level, really, aren't they, in terms of, like, mainstream pop popularity. Um, Taylor Swift clearly cares about trying to make an album, and each one... And, you know, whether they work or not is a a different thing, but but she clearly has a thing for each album. Yeah. Whereas Ed Sheeran... um, well, let's be honest, he's basically just going through the numbers. Like, each album he's done, it's either the number five collaboration project, the number six collaboration yeah. project, or, or plus, plus, divide, yeah. t- multiply. multiply. The next one's going to be my... Like, yeah. you know what the next album's going to be. It's going to be a collection of Ed Sheeran songs that he's written over a year that will be yeah. bangers... But they won't be an album. And actually, he'll probably release four or five of them as singles. But no, before, like six to eight. <laughs> beforehand. And then they're all going to be Number one shuffled ones. into people's playlists. And they're all going to be in the yeah. charts because well, everyone's streaming them. He just releases, like, Divide. It's just a compilation of Ed Sheeran's greatest hits for yeah. the last two years that he's been writing. So wouldn't it be better? And in a way, like, in terms of what this, this Spotify guy is saying, like... In those instances, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, yeah, like, yeah. why does Ed Sheeran bother with albums? Wouldn't it be better for his fans anyway if they could just have 
Well, like a regular Ed Sheeran yeah. song every like month or two. Well, like the shape of you, yeah, probably was finished within a month, maybe even a couple of weeks. Yeah. The only reason why it was delayed is because it was like, all right, well, we need to get enough songs together to make an album. If they could just have gone, all right, we're finished, Shape of You. This is a finished song. This will be a banger. Release it. Yeah. A couple months later, oh, we're finished another good single. Release it. Done. Just repeat that. Yeah. People would constantly be talking about Ed Sheeran. But he could also probably be getting multiple songs done and be like, well, actually, we've got the next year planned of singles for one every month. And people would just be constantly latching on. And it feels like sort of why... Why don't you do that? Mm. If you're that if you're that sort of artist, why not? And that's the thing, like with Spotify, you've got some people who are playlist listeners and some people who still are album listeners. Yeah, they still yeah. use it like an iPod from yeah. back in the days. So you've got your albums on there and you listen to it. Like that's as it is. Yeah. And for a playlister, yeah, I get it. Like if you're into your playlists, you don't care about albums because no. you build your own albums. Like you you want to be able to put 40 songs into a playlist and go, cool, this is a mood of songs yeah. and that's how I want to listen to them. I fully get that and respect that and I think it's great that you can do that. But it isn't for everyone. No. And it and it's not for every artist as well. And I think I think if uh I think if the Spotify guy had come out and been and said something along the lines that we've just been saying. I don't think you'd have gotten as much criticism. Yeah. Where he gets criticism is like, that's not going to work if you're Arcade Fire or you're The National or... FKA Twigs. Or FKA yeah. Twigs. Or or someone much smaller who can't afford to be putting out songs all the time. Yeah. Or, um, or, or he still really cares about the album. Mm. But yeah, Ed Sheeran. You're Ed Sheeran's. I don't... At this point, what's the yeah? What is the point in putting out other than to finish off the whole? Mi- he has to put out minus because otherwise it's going to be annoying for people's shelves. Yeah, because <laughs> like if you don't have the yeah, last you, one, you've got to have the four. But then does he get into the square roots and stuff? I don't know. We haven't actually spoken about the album that much, very particularly, but because I mean, what it's sixteen tracks. Yeah. It's a 16 track album. But it doesn't doesn't feel like a double album. No. No, it does feel it feels like one complete journey to be honest. Um because it is yeah, it is it is long. I'd be interested to know whether when it came to writing it whether they did different songs like they maybe came with like ready to start rococo month of may wasted hours like just met up and we're like oh we got these songs and then started piecing them together and like yeah shuffling them around or whether it was maybe more just the singer or just one writer of the band coming in and being like i have this idea for a collection of songs let's build off of this yeah, because I think... Because um, it tells a story. Yeah, but I also think there's there's sort of movements to it. There's sort of songs that you can group together yeah. and they're like kind of complete. I mean, the fact that the suburbs go straight into Ready to Start for, for one yeah. thing. And then you've got... And then straight into Modern Man. And then you've got stuff like Half Like One, 
Half Life Two, Sprawl One, Sprawl Two, Suburbs continued. Yeah. And- so it feels like there's sort of movements, and it's a it's a bit like the uh, Kimonuka album that we discussed. You know, there's that mm. like that the last D like things. side D like all sort of goes into each other. Yeah. And it feels like that's a complete, almost like an EP on its own sort of thing. Mm. Um, I don't know if there's any necessary here where it's like that you could just put that out as an EP on its own and that's the thing. But there definitely feels like yeah. there's. Uh, it feels like it's maybe an album that's fueled by its own topic as well. Like I almost because the fact that the first track is the suburbs and it ends with the suburbs, mm. I almost feel like maybe that was the first thing that was written, and it was like Which almost is, such a connection to that song. Yeah, it was like we need to expand on this. Which is something they they sort of did on everything now as well. Actually, yeah, they sort of come back to everything now at the end. Yeah. Um, so it's like actually the album itself is almost just one song yeah but just like it's like introducing yourself to the story and then just continuing to write it as you go on and just being like oh maybe they wrote Half Light next we're like oh this would be such a good midway point between the two and maybe that's kind of how they built off of it Rather than kind of approaching it, okay, we've got a load of songs, how can we make them all make sense together? It was like, all right, we want to make an album about the suburbs. Now let's write songs about that. Yeah, it's almost um, orchestral and classical in in that way. Um, It's almost like you've got the planet suite and it's like, you know, it's like... The movements. Yeah, like we, we start here... I can't remember the order of the planet suite, but it's, you know, we start with Jupiter, then we go to Mars and then, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, it, but it's a very complete like vision and it's the same thing. Um, but with different sort of diversions. Yeah. We go here, we go over here for a little bit and then we go over here, but we're still on the same street. We're just looking at different things. Well, was it after this album that they then got asked to do the soundtrack for the Hunger Games? I didn't know they did the soundtrack for the Hunger Yeah, I think it was the first one. They did the... Um, they did the first films. They did, like, the main kind of hook. The right. Kind of, like, the celebration soundtrack. But listening to The Suburbs, them doing a soundtrack for a film would make sense. Yes, I feel like the suburbs. The Hunger Games wouldn't be the film I would pick, but yeah. If, yeah, after hearing the suburbs, I would imagine some sort of place beyond the pines. Very much drive, indie, yeah. indie French house vibe. Yeah, French house, French uh, noir vibe. Yeah, new nouvelle vibe. Yeah. yeah, just very doesn't really go anywhere but just makes you feel like you're in a set time and space and emotion yeah there's a lot of like drive where he's you're just sort of watching ryan gosling not really do much but just sort of like but it just envelops you and like you're you can feel so much without him doing anything Mm. and i feel like that 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 would fit with this sort of album 
I don't have that much actually to say about about specific songs or like I I admit like this is probably the longest I've looked at the the track listing for this mm. album because I just it is one of those I very rarely stick it on without the knowledge of trying to get through it. I always want to stick this album on and go all the way through. Yeah, because actually as well, to be honest, I couldn't tell you based on the track list, like specific songs, yeah. what they sound like. No. You asked me what Suburban Wars like. Uh, yeah, I, I can't really But think. you put it on and be like, oh, it's that one. Yeah. Um, because it is, as we were saying, I think it's a very complete album. Mm. I think you want to listen to it as such. Um mm. Obviously, like the suburbs and ready to start are like, yeah, but that's because they were sort of the singles that you heard all the time, yeah, and have, and have kind of become synonymous with just Arcade Fire as a as a band, yeah. And I mean, the only time I will know a song name is if like we used to wait. I only know because of the oh, we used to wait. Yeah, like, it uses the the title. Yeah, and the same with Rococo. It's like. I can remember just the chorus, but I can't, like, I can't quite collect the whole song in my head because it's like, well, where does it actually start? Because it end, the start is the end of Modern Man, but the end is the beginning of Empty Room and they kind of merge into one, mm. which it, it's, a, it's a really weird... There's not many albums like it. It's a weird one. Yeah, and it's actually, as a result, quite hard to know what to say about it it's almost a cult album yeah because there's almost quite it's quite difficult like you said it's quite difficult to compare anything to it yeah so therefore it's quite hard for me to pull in comparisons when you're talking because you know when you talk about something you want to go oh it's a bit like this and it's a bit like this thing on this and actually and also genre wise it falls across so many yeah different eras and styles because there's points where it gets punky but there's points where it's orchestral Mm. and then it gets into quite kind of gypsy jazz-esque territory and you're like it's like it's just so all-inclusive it's interesting as well and i am going to draw a comparison now but you say flicking between all those genres and they've Mm. managed to make it sort of work and that that draws me back to the 1975 and the conversations we've had about them and about how Brief Inquiry, they managed to do that. They managed to hit loads, but it still feels very complete. But then Notes on a Conditional Form, they did that and it was like, whoa, there's too much going on here. Um, And I think, again, that comes back to, um, I think... With notes on a conditional form, I feel like they were like willfully Pushing not caring. Oh, well, yeah, or, or, or caring is maybe a strong word, but like not. They they like. It didn't really matter to them whether it was necessarily cohesive. Yeah. Whereas, I think it comes back to, uh, and maybe saying like the maturity in Arcade Fire because that's sort of implying the nineteen seventy five aren't mature. But in a way, I, I kind of think that's sort of true in the sense of like, although you could you can see the 1975 were able to do it through brief inquiry. 
but it shows the arcade arcade fires like restraint as well at times of just being able to be like you know because clearly there are a couple of songs that that weren't on this album and i'm sure there were plenty of more songs that we haven't heard that didn't make the cut um and even though it is like 16 tracks long Mm. quite quite a long hour and four minutes that they there's still a, a big strong sense of cohesion and like restraint that they've shown that it's like we don't you know it needs to fit the vision it needs to like fit within this these parameters sort of thing yeah I mean how would you conclude this album well I would say if you haven't listened to the suburbs then you need to yeah but you need to listen to it in one go I think I think you need to put it on yeah find yourself some time where you've got an hour spare to just sit down and listen to it properly yeah because I like because I think the first Arcade Fire album I bought was Neon Bible mm. and I was, it was like it's alright okay it's good indie album yeah it's alright Suburbs I never really got into I remember really liking Ready to Start as a single and then it probably wasn't until like four three four years later when Reflector was about to come out that I then listened to this all the way through and it was like holy shit yeah. this is magic this and, is I, like- and I think it like I think that that's true of of, the, of their other work as well like not mm. not all of it works as well as the Suburbs but I also think, like, listening to Arcade Fire, listen to their albums as complete albums from start to finish is the way to listen to them. Yeah. And the way to get an understanding of what they're doing with something. Yeah, in a way, they're not they're not an easy listening indie band. Hmm. They're, they're definitely on the... Despite what their sort of music yeah. might suggest that they kind yeah. of are. Like, you can stick on a couple of their songs, and yes, it's fun, but good God, it's so much better when you stick it on as part of an album. Mm. It's so well thought out, it's so detailed, and the production is usually very in-depth and layered, and just very emotional and a journey. Yeah. Yeah, Suburbs. It's probably in my top ten albums, I think, actually. It's a really good... Like, I can just stick it on in any mood and it always will make me feel better. That's going to be an episode we have to do, top 10 albums of all time. I mean, that would be a very difficult one. But it would be interesting. 100th episode special or something. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you for listening and thank you for watching because that's a new thing, isn't it? Um, So uh, if you like what you heard slash saw then uh please do subscribe on youtube subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening on and join us next time when we talk about george we're going to talk about tom york's anima it is anima isn't it, it is anima i'm for ages i was calling it anemia yeah yeah it's anima so join us then Thank you for watching and listening, and we shall see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.